This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, would you give us that intro lick? Explanations. I'm David Gerondale. I looked some stuff up on Wikipedia, read a DK textbook about it, and I'm going to explain it to my friend, Dexter Sorensen. Hey, Dex. Hi, David. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. It's super swell today. It is. Yeah, we just recorded a separate episode. Yeah, we recorded um, volcanoes. volcanoes. And uh, at a Part of it, we talked about super volcanoes. Yes, we did. Which is a nice segue into my topic. Wait, and I need to ask you about it. What are we going to be learning about today, David? We're going to be learning about supernova. Supernovas. Hush, hot shit. Okay, cool. Yep. So um, first, let's start with just an overview of stars. Okay. Uh, How they work, the different types of them. Um, I'll be quick with this part. So stars, as we probably all know, are just like a massive accretion of of mass, yeah, of matter. Um, it's mostly hydrogen, and so largely, yeah, yeah, largely hydrogen, uh, at least at their formation. And mm. so, what happens is when enough material, when a critical mass of material collects, the core, the very innermost part of this uh, accretion, starts undergoing fusion, and it starts fusing fusing Ooh. hydrogen into helium. And then does that affect the like the rest of it ar- so, along? Yeah, actually what it does is it creates an equilibrium where gravity can't compact it anymore because the thermal energy of fusion is is being forced outward mm-hmm. um, away from its source. And so that that heat energy actually creates a pressure. Yep, gravity itself is pulling in and crushing it, and that heat pressure is pushing it out at the same time. And so then the star quickly forms an equilibrium, um, where the outward pressure of the heat from fusion is the same as the inward crushing force of gravity, which is where like our uh, our star is at, uh, the sun, which is a yellow dwarf. Uh, actually, oh. it is not very small, but the reason it's called the compared, dwarf, comparatively, yeah, yeah comparatively, um, and in com- in comparison to most stars in our galaxy, which are red dwarfs, mm. that's the most common star. Our star is much much talk much about larger. star generations. Are we going to talk about star generations? Yeah, are you? Um, as in like the generations of stars that have existed in the universe? Yeah, like one, two, and three. Mm, we might briefly touch on it. Um, I have a little bit about it just in terms of um, talking about the the matter or the elements that are created only by supernova. Okay. So, yeah, we I guess we will touch on it towards the end. Okay. Um, so, our sun is a yellow dwarf. And the reason it's a dwarf really is because when we were first doing observations and looking out, the brightest stars, for the most part, are going to be much more massive than our sun. Mm-hmm. Um, out and a lot so, more light. yeah, so compared to them, it's very small. And so when we were looking out at the cosmos and we saw these little yellow white stars, um, sometimes green, um, 
we were like, oh, yeah, okay, so it's another class of dwarf star. They're way, way smaller than normal stars out <laughs> Which there. Which are and the then ones we, we see everywhere. Yeah, yep. But and then we learned eventually enough. Eventually, it's just they're fucking so much larger that we can see them some, from way further away. Exactly. And so, like, dwarfs are probably not, like, much less significant in population. Right, exactly. Dwarfs are the norm. Okay. You would think that they would be, like, a subclass, but dwarfs, by and large, are the norm. Okay. Um. And they're the longest-lived stars, too. Which so, is, that, I like that aspect of it. Yes, I do, too. Uh, without that, life on Earth <laughs> wouldn't have ever had time to get going. Because um, as we'll see later... Because what happens when you add way more mass into it? So, if you mean if it's, like, way more massive than our sun? Yeah. So, if you're, if you're actually large enough to produce a supernova, um, well... There are different types of supernova, which we'll get into. Okay. But the mo- the most common type that people are aware of, you have to be at least four to eight times more massive than our sun. Yes. And your okay. and your um, lifespan is going to be measured in millions of years, or tens of millions Instead of years, of billions not of billions. Years. So much much smaller time scales. So we got the we got uh, the red dwarfs and the yellow dwarfs, like our sun. Um, and those make up the majority of stars out there. And then you also have these things called white dwarfs. And a white dwarf is what our sun will eventually become. It is After a, it uses too much of the actual fuel it has. Right, exactly. So at the end of its lifetime, billions of years in the future, when it's exhausted all of its helium, when it's gone through its... its so our sun is a dwarf now, but it will become a red giant later on. Not a super giant, just a regular old red giant. Okay. And um, it will become red because it's actually cooler now um, because it's it's fusing hi- uh, helium instead of hydrogen. and Because it's used all of... All, almost all, all of helium. its hydrogen at this point. Hydrogen. And so it has to start fusing helium because it's been fusing its hydrogen into helium and it ran out, essentially. This forces it to... Uh, its atmosphere to rapidly rapidly expand outward because it starts generating more heat and that causes the atmosphere to actually cool down. And oh. so it reaches a new stable point after going a little bit crazy for a while. Um, and when it goes crazy, it'll basically destroy the earth because it'll, it'll eject so much mass from its atmosphere, from its Corona that it'll just blaze. Destroy the entire, yeah. yeah. It'll blast the atmosphere right off of the planet. Um, so then when that happens, eventually it will just kind of fizzle out. Um, there will be like a core like ignition. That's it. Yeah. What there do you will mean be by like core a core ignition. So, like, because it kind of like goes in waves and contracts after it spends like a lot of fuel, right? Yes. Yeah, so, what will happen is it will start to sputter out and the core starts um, to like collapse on itself. Will collapse under its own gravity. And then as the atmosphere starts to collapse with it, it produces enough gravity again for a little while to reignite the core again, Mm. which causes that heat pressure, which causes it to expand again. So that will go on for a while and then it will sputter out. And each time it's basically creating a new, a new element, correct? Am I wrong about that? Um, Like each time it collapses and starts a new fusion, it's creating like a more dense element. Is that right or wrong? It's, it's correct up to a point. Um, so it's never going to fuse anything heavier than iron. Okay. For instance, um, iron, 
is a star killer. So as soon as a star starts fusing iron in its core, when you try to fuse iron into anything heavier, you actually lose energy in the process instead oh. of generating energy like you do with fusion. And that's why it can't. Um, most of the time. Yeah. And so it it won't keep generating heavier elements forever. Um, it can up to a point, though. And that's where all of the iron in the universe came from, is essentially um, from that. And, you know, later we'll get into where supernovas come into that. Okay. Um, so then what will happen is the atmosphere will all blast off and it's not going to it's not going to come back in this time and save the day. And so the ignition ends permanently. And what you're left with is a very, very, very hot core devoid of any atmosphere. And that is called a white dwarf. It is a degenerate. It's called a degenerate star because it's no longer fusing. But it's still hot. It's still very, very hot. And it will remain that way for millions and millions and millions of years. Okay. Billions, actually. That's cool. Um, And then eventually, way later in the lifespan of the universe, it'll decay into a black dwarf where it becomes essentially as cold as the vacuum and it it emits no radiation of any type. And you should. That's sad. You could just slam into it without really knowing it was there unless you were using like active radar. (laughs) Yeah. Um, just a big mass of iron and other heavy elements um, close to it. Carbon, silica, things like that would yeah. be probably some of the most common elements in and it. And a black dwarf. Uh, yeah, yep. And a white dwarf okay. while it's still radiating. It's, it, they're mostly made of like heavier elements but lighter than iron for it's the most part. It's basically like an Earth's core that is just like large enough to keep itself hot. Yep, but, but you know, millions of times more massive than the Earth. The, yeah. Even though it's uh, about the size of the Earth, most yeah. white dwarfs. So then, um, okay, so we've covered red dwarfs, yellow dwarfs, white dwarfs. Let's get on to um, the giants. So we have super giants and hyper giants. Regular giants are just the end of the main sequence, which is the stable lifespan of dwarf stars, of of yellow dwarfs. Red dwarfs will never enter. Can you say that one more time for me? Sorry, um, regular giants, so like a red giant, it is just the end of the lifespan of a um, yellow dwarf. Oh, okay. It's so what all, all yellow dwarfs will become red, red giant giants. Is what happens to a yellow dwarf? Yep. At the end of its lifespan, when it starts fusing helium. Okay. A red dwarf will degenerate into a blue dwarf, um, which is strange because it's actually hotter. <laughs> as it it doesn't cool as it ages, it heats up because it's Does not it get more massive. Or well, like not more. It massive, starts fusing but... helium. But it doesn't produce enough Volumous. heat pressure. Yeah, it doesn't produce enough heat pressure to expand its atmosphere too dramatically. And so it stays hotter. Huh. Um, and then eventually that will turn into a black dwarf just like white dwarfs do. Okay. So they'll have essentially the same fate just with the red dwarf will never have a big bang towards the end or get big and swole. It just kind of peters out. Yeah. Um, so then, okay. Super giants and hyper giants. Okay. So, um, in order to, to produce a supernova, you have to be four to eight times larger than the sun. So, that's about where the barrier starts for supergiants. Mm-hmm. Hypergiants are then like an order of magnitude larger. We're talking about a thousand um, times. thousands and thousands, and in fact, ton- sometimes tens of thousands of times the mass of our sun. Okay. Um, many hypergiants. Uh, would encompass basically the entire inner solar system. Holy shit. Um, going out as far, actually, in some of them almost to Saturn. 
What? So, if, for instance, even Beetlejuice. I thought Beetlejuice, you were about to say, like, Mars or something. No, even Beetlejuice would make it almost to um, Jupiter, and it's a uh, supergiant. That's fucking Blue crazy. Blue hypergiants are, yeah, even much more That's massive. That's fucking huge. Yeah, it's basically, it's inconceivable. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Um, <clears throat> and so... God, that's a lot of shit. Like, just a lot of matter. Yeah. Oh, right? Yeah. It's, it's easy to see how, like, 99.999999% of all the matter is stars. Yeah. Right? It's all easy. taken up with those fuckers. If you could learn how to deconstruct those <laughs> with, like, a star lifter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like I like I said earlier, um, supergiants and hypergiants have extremely short lifespans in stellar terms. Um, mm. The bigger they are the shorter the lifespan is in general um and so yeah that's stars um so now that we've covered how stars work in general and the different types of them we can dive right into supernova so we'll talk about supernova and i'll bring up nova and why it's different than a supernova when we're talking about so they are different they are different yep so supernovas are broadly broken down into three categories um, which are type 1A, type 1B, and type 2. Oh, yeah, you caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the the reason there are two types and then they're split up into different, um, and the first one is split up into different like A and B, is because originally when we were observing them, we did the two types based on their um, lumosity, like their output, yeah. and, and but more importantly, um, which part of the spectrum they were they spiked in? Like, okay, yeah. wh where was their um, absorption lines uh, as far as, like, you know, different elements absorb different light frequencies? Yeah. And so you get different frequencies that actually hit you. So the main difference uh, is just what color, essentially, is it the is supernova. And yeah. so that's where we get type 1 and type 2. Now, type 1A is the least common type of supernova and probably the least well um researched or, or like um, able to be studied no not necessarily that um because it's actually really useful for telling how far galaxies are away we know exactly how far a galaxy is away from us as soon as we observe a type 1a supernova inside it um and i'll get into that in just a okay, second thank you so a type 1a supernova is the least common and it's probably the least um, well-known by the general public. Yeah. It always involves either at least one white dwarf. Um, and it's always a binary star system, which is the most oh. common star system in the galaxy. Really? Yeah. I at least 50% of star systems are binary star systems. Interesting. They're also um, a great rap collective. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that. Yeah. Binary, binary star, star systems. Michigan. Oh, binary star? Okay. Yeah. Check them out. From Michigan. That's my home state. There you go. Hell yeah. You like discipline. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Right, um, <laughs> so in the case of two white dwarfs, what is happening is so we like I covered earlier, white dwarfs are no longer undergoing fusion. But they're very, very hot and very, very dense. Yeah. And so um, if two white dwarfs are orbiting each other in a um in a cataclysmic orbit, like if they're going to collide, essentially, if they're on yeah. a collision course, when they collide, 
they will produce enough gravity with their combined masses to reignite. Oh, shit. And what we're seeing, oh, though, that's so cool. and they're just a reigniting fusion. That's all that's going on. It's nothing too insane, but they have no atmosphere. So think about it with a normal star, and I didn't get into this before, when a normal star, that fusion energy is taking years to uh, get out to the surface. Hundreds of millions of years to get yes. out to the surface. Yeah, it's just exactly. bouncing around in there. It's just bouncing around in there, trying to get away, trying slowly moving from the hotter gradient to the colder gradient very, of the very surface. Very, slowly. Very, very slowly. Mostly it's photons um, being shot out and being reabsorbed bouncing immediately. Bouncing off other photons. Yep. Um, so... In this case, though, there's no atmosphere to absorb any of that. It doesn't need to radiate through anything, through any medium other than the vacuum. And so it's just... Um, oh, and there's a massive blast of energy as it reignites its fusion. I never knew that, and that makes a lot of sense. Like, there's nothing to hold it back. There's nothing to hold it back. It's like, just, it no comes pressure. out all at once. There's no pressure. Instead of this steady stream, like we get with, with our star. Yeah. Just, yeah, one and done. Huh. Um... And but, so that's when two white dwarfs collide. Sorry, what were you saying? Um, how can we use that to accurately predict how far a galaxy is away? Um, Are we going to get into that later? I don't believe... I'm not actually certain if we can with that type oh, okay. of 1A. We might be able to, and if we could, the reason would be because we know what the um average mass or the rather what the um modal mass, of, mass modal mass of a white dwarf is yes so like modal mass being like we know what basically 99 percent of white dwarfs mass out at essentially because they just work on the same principle yeah um which is basically the fusing of iron and so, so if we know and the the luminosity is directly proportional to how far away they are it's because they're always the same size. Be, yeah, they exactly. They always have the same what is called magnitude. Um, this ties into volcanoes too. They always yeah. have the same magnitude, um, and we know what that is. And so, if they're dimmer or brighter, we know it's it was a result of distance. Yeah, and not a result of mass. Yep, because, because their mass their is fixed. Mass is fixed. Okay, and that so makes the a lot yeah, of sense. and so their magnitude, their actual, their absolute magnitude. Rather, rather, so there's absolute magnitude, which is how bright it is at the source, and then there's mm. apparent magnitude, which is how bright, bright it is, is at the observation at, yeah. point. Um, so their apparent the, magnitude determines their distance because their absolute magnitude is fixed. Is fixed. Yep. Okay. So it makes them what is called a standard candle in astronomy. Yeah, I have heard that. I remember that now. Um, there's one other standard variable that I'm aware of, which is a Cepheid variable star. It's a type of star that pulses with a very regular rhythm, and we just know we yeah. know what the lumosity, absolute magnitude of them is. Okay. Um, but so the other type of um, 1A supernova, which is more interesting in my mind, um, is when a white dwarf and a red giant are in a binary system together. So, oh, so are, are they also on a collision course? No, they don't need to be at all. In fact, they, they almost never are in, in this instance. So what okay. happens is usually it was a main sequence star when the white dwarf was made, right? And this main sequence star probably actually captured the white dwarf as it was passing by it because yeah. what created the white dwarf probably would have killed the main sequence star, the, the yellow dwarf. The main sequence star is the one that happened before? Um, after. After. So if you have this white dwarf, we can assume that that's much, much older than the star it's orbiting, its partner, yeah. because... 
it is a dead star. Yeah. Right. It's from a generation previous to this one almost. Yeah. Um, and so it just like kind of as it's, as it's moving along, it kind of just picked up. Yep. Yeah. We have one star moving along through space and it picks up in orbit this white dwarf. So then when this star ages and becomes a red giant like our sun will, um, its atmosphere gets a lot larger. And suddenly mm. the white dwarf is actually siphoning off atmosphere you can see this big pole in this whirlpool of plasma and corona just being siphoned off and um, accumulating on the white dwarf surface and so this is where we get to nova okay nova meaning the latin new okay um is they called it that because like suddenly a new star would appear in the sky And they'd be like, whoa, what the shit? Because it was previously invisible. And then it increased in its absolute magnitude so much that people could see it. And a new star was suddenly there. Even during the day sometimes, correct? Yeah. And so with a Nova, um, it is actually... It is like a tiny reignition. um, If there is such a thing, really. Um, (laughs) So... What happens is enough Popping mass... Fresh in the kitchen. <laughs> that bo- no, I'm just kidding. Oh, fuck that guy. I know, right? Um, fuck that song. You shouldn't, have done, you shouldn't have done that song if you're going to be such an asshole. <laughs> Why? Because you like it? Yes. I get that. <laughs> it sucks when shit people do things that you like. Like, right? create things that you like. Fuck them. It creates that tear, that, like, cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Um... So as uh, as the material from this red giant is accumulating on the surface, it um, in a in a series of different ways can actually start localized um, re fusion reignition. Okay. So this is a localized event um, towards the surface. Like the gravity on uh, that's tugging on that material on the surface is actually igniting the new material that is accumulated on the, the surface, core is not fusion, reigniting. So the fusion is happening on the on surface, the surface of, of the, the star. Dwarf. It's gravity is that intense that it can cause fusion on its surface. Ah, oh, that's interesting. And so these come in three general varieties, um, which are classical, um, Nova, like the, I mean, which just comes from because it was the most common type observed. It was the first kind known. Yeah. And then um, later on, they came up with like subclasses, essentially. And so we have recurrent, which just we can we can measure the regular interval. They will Nova at regular intervals. And that's probably from or uh, correct me. Is it from them passing behind the red giant or is it from the diff- the fusion causes it to stop for a second. Like that gassing that gets to the surface causes a fusion and then it has to accumulate again. Yes, it's that. So like okay. basically it fuses that material and then it has to accumulate more material to fuse again. And it takes, it's always sucking at a constant rate. And so it always takes the same amount of time to, to accumulate this, that material. Yep. In order to cause the gravity to cause a fusion again. Yeah, it reaches critical mass at the same time. But, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and then there are also dwarf nova, which are the tiniest. They're just highly localized fusions. Um, and so sometimes... Wait, what was that type called? The, the one that's periodical? Recurrent. Recurrent. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so sometimes, though, um, white dwarfs don't 
And I don't, I couldn't actually figure out why this occurred because they're of more or less constant mass. And so, but sometimes they don't have what it takes, I guess, to fuse all of that, uh, or the material as it's accumulating. And so I wonder if it so has it something could, like accumulate faster than that's what I wonder the fusion is fusion could actually be plausible or maybe the material itself isn't as fusible. Um, the material itself would mostly be hydrogen and helium because it's sucking yeah. off the outer atmosphere of the, <laughs> it's sucking off the red giant. I'll just say it. Um, and so what happens in that case the is, recurrent. all right, I'm sorry, I'm, all, I'm, I'm done laughing. About it that. recurrently sucks it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what happens in that case is enough material collects on the surface to actually um, reignite the entire core. And when this no. happens, um, again, it's always the exact same absolute magnitude when this happens. It's always the same critical mass that does it. And so we could find distance based on that too. Yep. And so that's why, yeah, that's it's a standard candle, just like two white dwarfs yeah. colliding likely is i didn't read about that one specifically being a standard candle so i'm not sure but it makes sense like extrapolating from what yeah. we know that it would be the, the two white dwarf collision is what i yeah. mean um and so what happens in, then is uh again the white dwarf reignites its core and blasts all that radiation outwards immediately um almost always destroying its companion oh um it might be left with enough mass to form, like, you know, a, a white dwarf itself. Like, its core might remain. Does that cause, like, a further explosion? Or um, does the rest of it just dissipate? Like, the, it's Basically, companion. it just gets its atmosphere blown off. Like, you can imagine, like... Um, it, yeah, it just gets blasted with so much energy that everything is ripped away from the core. The core yeah. of the other sun, I think, is usually left intact. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, that covered... Type 1A. Yes. I'm going to talk about type 1B and type 2 together because they're the only difference is um, the spectrum. Okay. Other than that, they're, they're the same. Fair. So these are the common ones that we think of. They result from a very, very large star. Like I've quoted before, at least four to time or four to eight times the mass of our sun, mm -hmm. but oftentimes tens of thousands of times the mass of our sun. And, so what happens is at the at the end of their life, their very short life, they start fusing iron. They've fused all these things heavier or light, lighter than that now. They've made silica, carbon. They've made all of those nice oxygen, all yeah. that great stuff. They get to iron and they're starting to lose energy in the yes, process. Yes, it's literally, it's like a heat sink. It starts <laughs> absorbing heat energy from the core itself. As it's fusing the iron, it's losing energy. And so huh. um, this basically causes a chain reaction and the core collapses. It's under so much gravitational crush that it, it collapses. Like a, What's that? Vacuum. There's like, or like a void of basic space, basically. Or no. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, you're right. Because that, that pressure that was putting, pushing it out suddenly clicks off. Yeah. And so... The core contracts away from the other layers of the sun, the convection layer and the radiative layer, the, the atmosphere, the photosphere, all of it. It just 
in without any time for the rest of the sun to even react because mm-hmm. it moves at nearly one quarter of light speed when it Damn. collapses. And what happens... That's pretty dang fast. Yeah. is really fucking fast. And what happens is then it... That, that collapse causes a massive shockwave um, to reverberate outward from the center. And, like, you can imagine all of these atoms coming down to try to meet at the same point. They're all going to bounce off of each other really fucking hard. Yeah. Um, and so, well, first, before the core can even shockwave out and bounce back out, what happens is most of the iron is converted, decays, in fact, directly into neutrinos, which Whoa. are... Yeah, um, pass through fucking anything. Yeah, they're a weakly interacting massive particle, a wimp. So they're <laughs> very, very hard to detect. Um, they're whizzing through you I right now. I never heard that acronym. That's oh, great. wimp, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, weakly interacting massive particles covers everything from neutrinos to, like, the theoretical dark matter. Yeah. Right, because their mass dark matter would be massive if it's real. Um, but it doesn't interact with normal matter hardly at all, except through gravity. Yeah. Um, and so immediately preceding the l- visible light blast of a supernova is a neutrino blast. Because this, these neutrinos travel oh. at light speed out from the core. But they don't interact with anything, so they probably they go faster from the core outward. Yep, because they're not interacting with normal matter. And because before the core even rebounds, this is the result. As soon as the core contracts to its tiniest state, neutrino burst. And then it rebounds a tiny, 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 tiny fraction of a millisecond later. Yeah. Um, and runs into the atmosphere and so all of that atmosphere is blasted away by the most enormous bout of radiation that ever occurs in our universe other than the birth of the universe these are the most violent events in the universe so when this happens um it it can immediately outshine the galaxy that it is in oh holy shit yep so a supernova is briefly brighter than all of the other stars the billions and billions of stars like how in its galaxy like um it it outshines its galaxy for minutes yep and then it usually takes um well actually no probably longer than that well how it probably just kills everything that is near yeah so within about 30 light years um, every planet would be sterilized. Um, yeah. Because it, it, what happens is the gamma radiation would knock knock your atmosphere away. Yeah. Um, so if it's in another galaxy and we see a supernova of uh, type 2 or type 1b, it, we can, it oftentimes outshines its entire galaxy um, for minutes or maybe even hours, and then it slowly fades over days and year, months and years. Mm. Um. If it happens in our own Milky Way, and the last time this was directly observed was um, Kepler's supernova, which was in 1604, um, it was visible in the daytime sky for, I think, like six months, and it was still visible to astronomers, um, you know, for over a year. And this, we're talking about astronomers in 1604, uh, not working with like super advanced equipment. And so if, for instance, Betelgeuse, which okay. has been 
um, going through some interesting rumblings uh, lately. I don't know if you saw that in the news, but yeah, Beetlejuice di- just dimmed by more than we've ever seen it dim. Really? Which, granted, we've only been watching it for like 50 years or yeah. something like that. But yeah, it's the greatest um, diminution uh, in its apparent magnitude that we've ever seen. And what type is Beetlejuice? Beetlejuice is a red supergiant. Okay. And at the end of its life would be determined by its mass. And so we don't know its precise mass, but we know that it's based on what we can observe. It's going to die. It has a 99% chance of dying within the next 10,000 years. Oh. So between yeah. now and 10,000 years it has a 99% chance. Um, and it, But it could go at any minute. Right, like the chances yeah. of it going now are just as great as the chances of it going off in ten thousand years, because we just don't know its mass. And how close is it? To us? It is six hundred and forty-two light years away. Yes. So yeah, we don't have to worry about it, but it would be awesome because it's the shoulder of the constellation Orion, mm-hmm. and it's the second yeah. brightest star in the constellation Orion as well, um, just because of its be size. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, like it's farther away. It's further away than most of the other stars in the constellation, at least the brighter ones, but it's much larger than almost any of the others. Mm -hmm. And it's visibly red, like with the naked eye that you can see that it is red. Yeah. And when that goes, uh, sometime in the next 10,000 years, hopefully soon, because that'd be really awesome. That'd be awesome. I want to see it. Right? It will outshine the full moon at night. Ah, It will be visible during the daytime, and it will light up the night. Mm, right I that sounds that. so cool and then there'll be a new nebula there oh really yeah oh, so yeah, supernovas are the primary sources of nebulas um at least the larger ones the ones that are really visible there are yeah. smaller scale nebulas really just gas clouds caused by you know like when our sun dies it's going to create a big cloud of hydrogen and helium yeah. and oxygen and other shit but it's not going to be a spectacular nebula like the ones that are famous from hubble photographs yeah. those are caused by supernova fuck yeah um, and so, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that thing Me exploding. Too. Hopefully it happens. Uh, I want to see. And Hall- hopefully there's nothing living to die because I want to see it. Halley's Comet at least twice. We <laughs> got it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to live forever. But if I'm going to live that long, maybe we'll survive until Beetlejuice goes. Yeah. It'll be an event. Yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm going to drink to that. <laughs> Unless my doctors told me not to drink anymore. Yeah, can you imagine if you had like, if you could just like. <laughs> freeze yourself and something and jump forward in time like the crazy fucking parties you could go to just waiting for astronomical events to take place (laughs) oh yeah only going to astronomical parties yeah just like crazy conjunctions or eclipses or like even more cool like you know fiery freaking super giant explosions you could wake up you could have an entire lifetime of Halley's comets and then sometimes stay around for another day in order to get something else cool that's going to happen around a Halley's Comet. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just, like, live a few days and then sleep for another 60 years. Yeah. Live, like, another week or two. I could dig it, maybe. Fuck yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you're basically a time traveler. You're just one direction. Yeah. I mean, we are already. That's but true. But, like... Con- consciously. Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit more deliberate. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Beetlejuice goes, when these big guys go, they produce pretty much everything that's heavier than iron. That's what I was thinking of earlier. So everything that is heavier than iron is produced by these During supernovas. The explosion. 
during the explosion itself. So like like I said, most of the iron is converted to neutrinos, but then that blast of radiation is just fusing elements. It doesn't matter that it's losing energy because it's not a sustained reaction. It's just a runaway reaction. Um, and so elements are being fused much heavier than iron because of the immense amount of energy being pumped into them. Yeah. So when we actually made computer models based on the physics that we understood... Um, we were seeing only a tiny fraction of the energy that the that the models predicted, and that's so. Eventually, we discovered a lot of that was neutrinos, which yeah. we couldn't detect at all at the time and didn't really know existed. Yeah, we had to make like huge tubs of mercury, right? Or um, they mercury. I don't know if they're mercury, but it is a liquid held in a massive drum and then buried mild, miles beneath the Antarctic ice. Yeah. Um, and it's a massive array of them. It looks weird. It's like a three-dimensional minefield That's on strings. Cool. Um, so, yeah, you can think everything high, heavier than iron um, to supernovas. And so that's where it kind of does get to star generations. So, like, basically, with that in mind, you don't really have a lot of interesting planets or things like that going on until after. The first like, you can't supernova. have Earth without first having supernovas to supply us with all the things that are heavier than iron. Yeah. Um, which include things that are essential to life. You know, <laughs> there are a lot of trace minerals that are heavier than iron that we require. Yeah. Um, and in addition, I believe they produce the majority of the phosphorus in the galaxy too. Um, and in fact, recently oh. we discovered they produce a lot less phosphorus than we had supposed. And so oh. there's one possible solution to the Fermi paradox right there. Phosphorus is a lot more rare than we realize. Okay, we just got Earth a lot might be of an it. oasis. We just got a lot of it. Yeah, we might have just been extremely lucky. We might go out there and find that all these other planets that we're wanting to to terraform are useless because they don't have any phosphorus, so you can't grow anything. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, that scares me sometimes. <laughs> to, to go out there and find so much and find out that it's barren to life, and it like you could, would literally have to sit there fusing phosphorus yourself. Atom by atom to fucking make fertilizer. Yeah. That's not cost effective. No, it's not. <laughs> um and so yeah, we can be we can be pretty happy for supernovas because we wouldn't be here without them. Yeah. Life wouldn't exist without supernovas. Could not it? as we know it. It created the chemistry for life. That's cool. Um, and so we're in a in a genetic sense, not at all, but in a molecular sense, we are the offspring of stars. We are um, because stuff. they made the atoms that are in it's you Carl and Sagan I right there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. So that takes care of all of the types of supernova. Yeah. Um, you might be wondering what's left to F what, what besides a nebula is left after a supernova, like with, with okay. our size or, you know, our star, uh, uh, something is left after that massive explosion because it does explode. It's just not a Nova. It's nothing that bright. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's a white dwarf there's left still over. A core, yeah. There's still a core. And so with supernova, what oftentimes, what always happens, really, is one of three things. With some of the least massive, the ones that are like four to eight times the mass of our sun, yeah. the, that range, they produce neutron stars. Ooh. So this is much like a white dwarf, except that there's no normal matter left. Um, or rather, there's no atoms left. Just neutrons. Every electron and proton has been smushed together 
against their will and becoming a neutron yeah. and there's nothing else left. Um, the largest, <clears throat> oh, my voice is getting cracky. The largest yeah. mountains on a neutron star. Cause I thought this is interesting. The largest mountains that can form on its solid surface are, um, half a centimeter. What? In height. What? Those are the largest surface deformities it, it has. Wow. It's is that, that perfectly smooth. That's because of, yeah, how perfectly smooth it is yep. or how small in size it is. Well, yeah, they are small, too. They're about the size of a city, though. So, like, mm. a large city. Say, yeah. L.A. Or, um, or New York. But they're very dense, surely. Yeah, they are still millions and millions of times the mass of the Earth. So, that's, like, that's way more significant than when people say, like, if you looked at an orange, the divots on an orange are way more significant than any ocean than any ocean depths or oh like sure yeah mountainous depth mountainous heights, but that's like even more significant as far as smoothness goes. Yeah, it's essentially perfectly sphere- uh, spherical. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then of course, in more massive cases. Oh, okay. Wait, here's a cool thing about neutron stars that um, I learned. Um, and it makes me understand more about kind of how they relate to black holes. And um, they're almost like a failed black hole in a weird way. So they are incredibly massive, which means they have a lot of gravity. And they're, they're yeah. so small that their gravity gradient is very sharp, which means that they bend light around them. They, oh, form, yeah, like a, they form a gravitational a star lens. That's actually behind it. You can see stars that are behind them. And not only that, if you were to look at one face on, you would see more than half of it. Because oh, light yeah. that was being emitted partway around it that's on the dark side relative to you would actually be bent around towards you. So yeah. you're seeing um, more than 180 degrees of it. Of the star itself. Of the star itself. When you look at it, you see some of the wraparound. How mind-bogglingly weird would that be? Like, what would that even look like? Yeah. Would the star appear oblong as you looked at it? Well, no, because it's uniform. So it still appears spherical in my in my thinking of it. But then how how do you see the You just you only know because of theory. I see. You don't think you would perceive it? No, no, no. I don't think you would perceive it. Because you only know, like, you would know that, like, something that you look at at the edge is actually around the back from what you should be able to perceive. I see. Yeah, because it would actually, that's right. It would just be, it would just appear larger than it is, but yeah. still spherical. Yeah. That makes more sense. Because it wouldn't be oblong because it's it actually wrapping from every direction. It happens uniformly, uniformly around the yep. entire sphere. Okay, thank you for explaining. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Explanation. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> that gets us to black holes, which yes. of course don't just bend light. Clap, clap, clap. They take in absorb all light it and, and never won't let, it, let go. it go. Yep. Once it once it passes the event horizon, it's not coming back out. They're the real rear crawl. Um, Their lights rear crawl. <laughs> They're never gonna let you go. They also won't let you down. They'll never hurt you. <laughs> they'll never give you up alright you just gonna keep not talking I just wanted to see how long you'd go <laughs> that's about how long <laughs> <laughs> Um. so yeah black holes I feel like th- they should be a topic in of themselves so Absolutely. I wasn't gonna dive into these um, because there's so much that's interesting about them Fuck yeah, and right. it would take uh, yeah we could dive into it for a long time 
So, but let's tell how they're birthed. Yeah. So basically, what happens in this instance is some of the core it, of, uh, is it of the of the super giant or hyper giant really. It's hypergiants that produce um, black, black holes. holes. Um, and because it's, it's way more common to produce a neutron star than a black hole. Yeah. You have to be quite massive. And at least that's what we think. I mean, obviously, black holes are really hard to detect unless they're sucking something up. Yeah. So who knows how many there are out there. Um, I've even heard that, you know, a black hole, like, for instance, Planet Nine or Planet X, depending on you know, your perspective on that, but it's planet nine now because Pluto's not a planet. Yeah. Uh, so planet nine could just as easily be a black hole and that's why we can't detect it. It's it a black makes, hole about the mass of a really large, you know, about a Jupiter or something like that. That um, makes sense to me. Cause you can, there are ways to form micro black holes in nature. They don't, it couldn't be a black hole generated from a hypergiant like we're talking about, mm. but there are other ways to generate black holes in nature. They can okay. produce micro black holes. Um. So yeah, yeah. As the core is is collapsing, it actually collapses behind the, beyond this critical point, wherein the gravity. Uh, I mean, in basically, my, the it gravity. reaches infinity. Essentially, the gravity actually reaches infinity. Um, that's why we call it a singularity. Yeah, because math actually just breaks down. We don't know. What happens, to be honest? Like, no one really knows. There are tons of theories, but black holes break our math. And so when we found out that they were real, we were like, whoa, shit, how can something that is described by math and follows mathematical principles break it? Yeah, but we can, we've can. we taken a picture of it now. Yep. Even. Yeah, actually, the first scientist... Um, just took, last year. Just last year. Um, a woman, I, for, oh, I forget her name. Using computers, all, all like telescopes all around the globe. Yep. Yeah. And oh like, yeah, it was a massive effort. Them together. Yep. That's so cool. Um. So this is kind of interesting. When when if you so neutron stars typically rotate very very mm. very very fast. Yeah. And they shoot out beams of energy when they do. If the beam faces you, you can see it come at you, yeah. uh, and we call that a pulsar. Um. Because it's like a lighthouse, it just yeah. Except several times a second. With a black hole, if it rotates, it will start to produce a blue glow. Ooh! It creates this type of, and this blows my mind. Just it rotating changes its radiation emission, and that's what produces the visible blue glow. It radiates okay. in the blue spect visible spectrum. Wow! Yeah. So some black holes aren't black; they actually produce light, and that's not Hawking radiation. I don't think it's Hawking radiation um, because I don't think Hawking radiation is emitted in high enough um, levels to produce visible light, but I don't yeah. know actually I, what I, causes the blue glow. Okay. Still, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, it's just weird to me that there are some black holes that, that glow, and it's just because they spin. Yeah. It's weird to me, too, that most of them are still. Like when everything in the galaxy and the universe seems to spin... And Most black as holes it, are just still, and especially as it gets denser, like as things coalesce, like if you think of a ice skater pulling in its its her or his arms, uh -huh. like you get more velocity in your spin as you pull your arms, as in. you contract, yeah, as you contract your arms in, so that kind of breaks the laws of common sense. 
Yeah, it does. When you think that like the a singularity, the densest thing you can think of, isn't spinning at isn't all. Spinning. Because yeah, you would think that like the as that material coalesced to create the conservation that, of momentum, yeah, would cause it to basically spin infinitely too, in my mind. But yeah, and black holes break conservation rules in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. the conservation of mass is kind of ruined by Hawking radiation, because then the the whole idea of conservation of mass is like there's a record of everything that happened in the universe. Information is preserved, yeah. but with Hawking radiation, the black hole evaporates eventually. And nothing of what went into it is left. Yeah. Because Hawking radiation emits no information. There's no information in it. It's useless radiation. Yeah. It's entropy. It's fucking and so crazy, black yeah. holes turn mass into entropy. That's essentially what they do. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. That's what I got on Supernova. Um. Uh, what do I got? I did like the Nova documentaries. Oh, <laughs> Nova documentaries. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Supernova in the East by Dan Carlin. Ooh, I like that too. That's Anything really Dan Carlin's good. Also, yeah. uh, Eugene Podcaster. True. Yep, yeah. he's got a Eugene PL. That's why you should always trust Eugene Podcast. <laughs> we're just, you know, it's a higher level of podcast. <laughs> Down here, Eugene. here in Eugene and the Pacific Northwest. Uh, yeah, just kidding. Uh, but not in the case of hardcore history. Hardcore history is actually on its own level. Yeah, it is. It's the the amount of research he puts in every episode, the length, the detail. It's insane. Yeah. Um. But anyway, no, I don't got nothing else. All right. And that's it for this episode. Episode. Dexplanations is recorded at Rapid Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art, logo, and social media by Monet Moran. And my trusty co-host is Dexter Sorensen. Hey. I want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon. Alexis, Amanda, Ben, Betty, Kevin, Derek, Emily, Hannah, Linda, Nick, Susan, Tanner, Tori, Trevor, and our only tattoo patron ever is Brittany. Thanks, y'all. We really appreciate it and your support. It really helps the show... If you, too, want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations. Tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode or leave a review on iTunes. All of these things help us a lot, and we're trying to get more exposure for the show. And we really appreciate you guys for your support. Uh, likely we got a bunch of things wrong. If you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at Dexplanationspodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at, at Dexplanations or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, well, you could just outshine a whole galaxy. Bye now. You're the brightest star in my heavens. Oh, God, that's cute. Sorry, I, I forgot to come up with a compliment, so I just had to do it off the cuff. You did all it right. Means, it means it's genuine, though, guys. It is still a genuine compliment. All right, I love you. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>